Welcome to Disjointed. Our podcast mission is to bring a voice to the problems facing decision-making in the built environment. Today, communication and processes are disjointed in the world of design and construction. Work happens across tools, teams, and timelines, making it hard to keep everyone connected. It's a constant challenge to reduce friction and meet project expectations. We believe there's a better way. Welcome to another episode of Disjointed. I am excited to be joined by Hugh Seaton. Hugh, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's it's my pleasure to have you on. I, I think most people listening in have heard you over the last year. I know I've enjoyed Constructed Futures. I've enjoyed the Construction Technology Quarterlies. But for those people that may not, introduce yourself, let them know a little bit about all the things you do, how how we got here. Yeah. So I'm uh, the general manager of uh, Crosswalk by CSI, which is an API that kind of makes those standards, the, the core standards of CSI available to the software and to, to IT teams. Um, along the way, though, I wrote a book called The Construction Technology Handbook, uh, which was really a primer on software and technology for the field and for other folks in construction. Along the way, started the Constructed Futures podcast, which for me was just a way to talk to people in the industry and get their stories out. A lot of that was software companies, but some of it was people in the data side, people on the architecture side, and so on. Um, you know, last year I did the, the construction tech quarterly, which was me reacting to numbers I kept seeing that annoyed me, like 1.3 trillion and this and that, really to break down what the industry is. Uh, and this year I launched a new podcast called uh, Data in Construction which is a real passion point for me, both because of what I do at CSI, but also as an entrepreneur, seeing what's out there and seeing how I think construction is at a point now where we're producing a, a, a lot of data that is some of it's structured, some of it's not, but there's a wave of data that is now people are figuring out, okay, we got to do something with it. So how do I get conversations like this one where people are, we're talking about what, what to do about it and how to do a better job? Yeah, I, I like where you're going there because you're really talking about some of the fundamental processes underneath are, are creating data. But you know that's why we I built Disjointed quite a lot. Like you were having those conversations, and um, I wanted to have conversations that focused around the problems. I love technology mm -hmm. at a heart, but technology for the sake of technology doesn't work. And so we wanted to bring it up. So when you think about that data and think about those things, and you hear Disjointed. What does it mean to you and what, what do you hear in that? What are the problems that you that come to mind? So I will focus on, on data since it's something I'm, I'm thinking about a lot right now. And there is a, a couple things that to keep in mind. One of them is construction is a massive industry. So it's tough to say one thing is true across the whole industry. Um, right now, though, the, the way we even think of data is still a little bit, it's emerging, let's say. People aren't, I don't think that term gets defined enough. I think that different words get thrown around, like we got to build a, a lake house. No, we got to build a warehouse. No, let's build a, a fog or let's build, I'm not kidding, I'll be, just build a graph. I just did a podcast about that. And the, 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 a little bit of the problem is people aren't, a, disjo a point of, disjoint, of disjointedness is no one's saying, what is data? And generally, what's it good for? And then why should I care? And so on and so forth. So the WIFM, the, you know, what's in it for me, I think is still not kind of breaking through. Um, the flip side, though, is there's this kind of thing out there where keep the data because we'll need it someday. 
as if keeping data and doing things with data is free. And it's really not. Data is the new oil is an expression you hear sometimes. The problem is you can't do anything with oil out of the ground. It needs to be refined. So that analogy, I didn't come up with that one, but the analogy is really nice that yes, it may be the new oil, but just like oil, you need to refine it and turn it into the products you're going to do something with. So if you put diesel in a gas engine, it doesn't work. If you put you know, kerosene in a, in a, you know, in a, in a lubrication application, it doesn't work. And all of them come from oil. The same is true of data. If you, if you just take a, you know, scanned PDF, which is technically data, it doesn't do anything. If you, if you parse it into a bunch of, it doesn't do anything for you. It needs effort and refinement, and it needs a little bit of intentionality. So the, the long-winded way of saying what's, when I, when I hear the word disjointed, I'll, I'll summarize by saying, what we can do with data and what, what we are doing with our business is currently not, not in the same room yet, even though there were good conversations are being, ha- are being had. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. There's a couple things there. From, from last season, I had Ryan Furtag on and he kind of talked about the McKinsey study and that being thrown at us all the time. And I think you and I and Ryan feel the same way about that. We're sick of it. However, you know, he opened my eyes to the fact that well, yeah, you take that study, but you're taking a huge industry and trying to put it into a single little bucket when, you know, we have industrial building, we have vertical and horizontal, and we have multifamily and we have multi-use and we have wastewater treatment and we have, you know, hospitals and you try to lump all that together. Your data is not going to tell you anything because it's really getting, you know, uh, distilled down to to too little, right? We need specificity. We need to know what problems, what things we're looking at. So that was Ryan's take on it. Um, but then when I heard you just now, what I think is cool is I think about the silos and hmm. I think about they're all talking about data, but do they need oil as a lubricant? Do they need oil as a propulsion in gas? Do they need oil for kerosene to burn? You know, like you want data, but what do you want to do with it? What's the problem you want to solve with it? And then I can tell you how to refine it. Did I give that back to you? Like, what does that mean? That's right. And I would add, add to that, that, that it's a new enough muscle that there, there often, it isn't that it, if you tell me what you want to do with the data, I'll go get the right data for you. People are learning what's even possible. So it's a bit of a cycle of, you know, there's a, there's a term we use in, in data called data uh, value discovery. So, and I've done a lot of this actually, where you take some data and you start mapping it and you start graphing it, and you start correlating things, just play around. And this isn't doing big machine learning. It's just graphing and maybe some simple statistics. The point is you start to see things that you, would, you didn't know or you didn't even know to ask that question. I think there's a lot of that going on in the industry right now where people will try things. And sometimes you're like, I'm not going to learn anything from this. And other times you'll say, oh my God, I can't believe that, that, that I'm learning this from that series of data. So it takes a minute to know what to even ask for, to even know what problems can be solved. Um, a great illustration of that is you'll hear AI a lot. And the problem with AI is what works in the demo often doesn't work in the field because it's so complex out in the world and it's dusty and people don't know how to interact with, this, with it and so on. Um, learning the limits of what you can get done means it makes things useful. 
So if you know that an AI system doesn't replace a person, but augments them, that automates some of the dumber parts of their job, which is a really good way of describing the best AI that's out there right now. It isn't saying, I don't need a project engineer anymore. It's saying, I, I only need one project engineer on this particular task instead of three. You know what I mean? So, so, so that's the big thing with data is, is understanding not only what it can do, but, but the limits so you know where to put it. Well, the limits and how to use the tool. I mean, for me, again, here at Disjointed, it's 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 about you know what, what do we teach people that are are new to these problems, new to this conversation. And for me, it's it's when you're looking at that project engineer and you're talking about that. It's not about replacing them. It's that right now their head is pretty much down in the Excel spreadsheet or in the collection or in the creation, and they're working in and not on the project. And we want their heads up on the project. And a good, well trained AI can provide them a question. It can't provide them an answer yet. It's not there. It's not going to be there. But if you consume the data correctly and put it through a good specific AI, it might say, hey, in a, you know, I'm going to bring up document crunch, but in a, in a situation, you got a rain delay. Your, your contract says you have these choices and these are the things you need to do. Great. I didn't have to go do that and figure all that out and spend six hours reading it. It presented it to me but it didn't present me what to do. It presented me my opportunities. And that may be with anything. We we may start to see that through, you know, groups like New Metrics with what they're doing and going, hey, you're heading into this part of your schedule and this is what's going on on the site. These are the things that you should go keep your head up on a swivel yeah. and look for. Yeah. As, as an augment to the intuition and experience that someone who's had 20 years in the, in the field is going to anyway have. But now in addition to what's top of mind for that person, they can be reminded of some other things. Oh yeah. You know what? That is something we're going to pay attention to. So I'm going to mention it to the team. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, and I'll go to one of my last mini series episodes in, in the opening mini series with Rick Kahn, where he talks about the number one KPI in the industry is time to decision-making. Hmm. Like ultimately that's the most critical component for us in the industry because Anything that slows us down from the inception of a project to the closeout, any decision that takes time slows us down from doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I think great data combined and joined together instead of being disjointed might allow us some of that opportunity. I mean, when I know you're just digesting that. So when you think about it, what is what what do you hear there? What what do you what do you feel about it? There's a few things that are interesting, and one of them is, are we, are we able to turn um, things that are paper into kind of a data-centric way of looking at them? And by that, I mean, even if something's a PDF, it's effectively paper. So it means the, the, the information you put in that PDF only lives in one place, and you can make copies of it, but it's still only there. It's not networked with anything. It's not connected to anything. So as a result, the, the, I mean, I'll, keying off of, of Rick's point, if you think about the life cycle of an RFI, that's passing, pay, even if it's digitally, that's passing paper back and forth that may or may not be referencing different things. That may or, that, so instead of an RFI being a node of information, which is what it should be, right now it's a piece of paper that goes somewhere and it, it may or may not make it the first round. Often it doesn't because it may not have been checked away and it wasn't checked against anything automatically. So the point is transforming some of these, the, the, the items that, that drive decision-making from a flat piece of, of information into a, a kind of a network of data 
I think is going to have a huge impact on how much time people spend on shuffling stuff around, checking things, looking things up. Um, so that's that's kind of a big one. There's another one that comes up, and and I'm I'm in a funny place when it comes to standards. So you hear people talking about we need a standard for this and we need a standard for that. So I my day job is representing master format, uh, uniformat, omniclass, and the, the the kind of technology we use to deliver that. Master format's something like 70 years old. I'll get in trouble if I get any any more accurate than that because someone else has an opinion. Um, as a result of it being that old and being born during a non-digital time when you had no choice but to use a standard, it is the standard everywhere. Sometimes people remember 16 divisions more than the modern one, but, pe- but master format is established in a way that no other US standard that I've come across is, unless it's mandated or, or regulatory. In contrast, the other ones that are newer are, have less penetration because in a digital world, you can go around a standard. You, you can engineer around it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have one, but it means it's less required. And if it's less required, you wind up with a software company that says, why would I give up some of my control and ability to, to retain a, a, a customer by using an external standard? And they don't, or they're just a startup and they're, they're barely getting stuff out the door. In contrast, you have, have a, an even more modern company. Join is one of them. There's a number of, of others that are saying, yes, yes, but our job is to connect information, not to own it. Our, our job is to, to, help to drive collaboration. So that's another disjointedness is between, should we have standards? Yes, we should, but we probably won't. Um, or should we have open networks that where the value is in the connections and the network that we're creating, which again, certain companies join being one of them are, are pretty focused on. Procore has done a reasonable job of that with their marketplace. Um, some other companies, probably because Procore has done it, are also opening up APIs a little bit, which is, you know, it's a big service to the industry. I think Procore's push towards APIs is a huge thing because it's opening the, the if, if Procore, the unicorn in the business, can't and can realize and, and has grasped and, and really, I think, uh, taken to heart that they can't be the one ring to rule them all. They, they have created an open system or are opening their system to, to integrate with one another. They've helped that out. And I think you're right. There's this, uh, we talked about this with Hamza. I talked about this with Hamza Shambari early on about mm-hmm. everybody in those disjointed natures speaking a different language too. Cause when you talk about that, I'm obviously from join very familiar with the idea that some people speak uniformat, some people speak master format, and then you get outside of our range and some of them have no clue what any of that means. They speak yeah. building or they speak floor yeah. or yeah. they speak freaking English because a lot of times when you're building, you're talking about a group of, um, you know, city council people. They're having to sit down and look at this information. And, and that's where the disjointed nature of all of us speaking different languages Somebody and and many people have to come along and say, okay, you need those things because they've they're very valuable. They're very valuable for their use in your area of the business, but they're not translating into the rest of the business. And so we have to join those things together. We have to break down that disjointedness, break down those barriers to bring everybody in. I mean, I think Sala Eckhart from Microsoft talked about this. That's why they call it the digital building life cycle. You notice it's not, it's a continuum. It's not like hmm. the BIM, the model. It's, it's none of that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a life cycle. It's a continuum 
that they've created and that they're understanding and trying to drive so that the rest of us have a North star to go to. And I think that's what you're talking a lot about. That's right. And, and it's interesting what one of the, one of the, one of the moments in, in the, that life cycle that is being addressed, but is historically really tough and is handover. So you've got companies like ViewOps and Agile Handover and Builder and a few others that are trying to make this moment of utter disjointedness. It's like the other end of the, of the, of the pro- project from what you guys are currently focused on. But, but you set things up for success. But the point is, when a, when, a, when a GC is trying to collect all of the information from all of the, all of the subs, um, it isn't just that they can't find things and it's tough to get stuff. That's obviously part of it. There's no reason to expect a mechanical contractor to call certain things the same thing that an electrical one would, that a drywall would. So you have this tower of Babel that people have to, by hand, have to go and line up. Well, when they say that part of the building, they mean this. And, and, and so on. And it's a tomato tomato problem, which can be really tough when you've got to, you know, a building of, you know, 50 floors that you now need to operate and different things are called different things. So I think that's another area where you see it and it can't be a life cycle. If the original intent gets lost in VE that then gets lost because you can't find certain stuff. So you have to, you know, you have to change it out and then nobody knows what the, what the final components were. I mean, some of them, of course they know, but there's stuff that they don't know that then gets handed over to often a different group on the owner side. So one of the other parts that you run into is the people that kick it off often aren't, aren't facilities people. They're often financial or otherwise, as opposed to the, the facilities people like, well, how come nobody asks for a BIM model? I hear this all the time from facilities folks is nobody specified that the data that is, that is required in the contract is stuff we can use. Now that's on the owner side, and I know that this is just like contractors, where you've got some that are amazing and some that are, are you know, in, on a path, shall we say? That's obviously true of owners too. Is you've got some people who are building an annuity they never want to talk about again. It's just going to spit out money for a little while and they'll flip it. And you've got other people like Sala who are really thinking holistically about buildings as something that that have a life cycle all the way to demolition, which is an exciting way of thinking of them. I think it is. I mean, from cradle to grave is a is a really great way for us to think about the continuum. That that was what I got out of it. The problem statement was it never ends. The problem starts at the beginning and 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 ends never because we're going to go back and we're going to build on it again. Whether it's you building the building again or not, if you're not somebody who carries a portfolio and you do, you know, hang on to it for a little while and then flip it, great. But you know, that was Mark Reynolds uh, from Mace Company that talked about it. Like there's all sorts of new things that are going going to go into valuating that asset that are going to change yeah. VE, that are going to change yeah. those things. You know, your ESG scores. Um, those other things are going to make that asset that even though you sold it, that person who's going to buy it has to see value in it for a period of time. And that value has to be relative to the other buildings yeah. in the area. So um, I yeah. think that mindset shift um, and groups like Microsoft can lead a little bit and others yeah. will follow. And I think that's actually great for all of us in the industry because again, it takes a, a it takes a lot of, of groups pulling the rope in the same direction. And right now we're all pulling it in a circle and we ain't, we're not going anywhere. And we wonder why. 
Well, complex things also take an ecosystem to inch their way forward. A great example of that is there's, it, you know, through Crosswalk and CSI, I run into companies that are classifying ingredients and classifying products that go into buildings based on, on various things that are ESG related. Often, a lot of them started with health. So the plastic does or doesn't harm and so on. But that's increasing the carbon content and so on. But without that, it's actually not that easy for a contractor, whether it's a GC or, or a trade contractor. It's actually kind of hard to know quite what you're putting into a building um, without, without a whole other workflow. So the more you can make that workflow easy because, oh, my gosh, I can just look up the standard or we can make our decisions easily because, you know, some company has put a rating on it and we trust them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. those supporting things make the entire enterprise much more likely. So it isn't a huge expense for your contract, your, your cement contractor to have to tell you how much con uh, carbon is in their concrete. Yeah. It's, it, and, and same thing could be applied to constructability when it comes to a trade, like, Hey, this is a product that, that costs this much, but Hey, here's a, here's a cost of installation and constructability that makes it a far better choice. You raise those things to an owner that they can then understand, then, then they can make a value decision based on really good data and really good information. And that, you know, brings the whole team together, breaks down the disjointedness. I think everybody listening knows you and I could talk about this stuff for hours, but I'm trying to keep it uh, on a nice timeline here. But I do have this one question for you, Hugh. If you were sitting in my seat right now and after hearing that we've gone through and, you know, worked with owners, architects, trade contractors and general contractors in season one, and we've done what I call the airing of the grievances, so to speak, where would you go next? to tackle some of the real problems facing the disjointedness in the industry? A quick one is how are we as an industry building capability? What are we doing to train people so that they take what they've, the hard, hard won experience and intuition and apply it in new ways, whether it's with software, whether it's with data, whether it's with you know, combining offsite and, and prefab, but what are we doing to build capability? Some of the um, unions do a reasonable job of this. Um, most larger GCs have, have some training. Some of them have a lot of training. But I think that we are in a place where the whole industry knows it's shifting. And there's five to eight million people in the industry, depending on how you count it. That's where the rubber meets the road, is, is how people that are executing do their job. And are we, are we investing in them? Are we making sure that, that they... They have the tools they need to, to drive this change as opposed to it only being led from the top. It's a bit of a truism in large organizations that the, the senior team will say, we want to do this. And they'll make announcements and they'll even make pamphlets and they maybe even make, you know, give away some, some swag. And then six months later, they're doing something else. This isn't a dig on construction. Actually, IBM used to have a term, they would, they, of course, it wasn't official. They'd call it launch and leave, where they'd have a big announcement and then walk away. Another customer I used to work with, you would call it a uh, uh, boom splat. They had this big thing and then it would fall out. So it's very common across large organizations that senior leadership says, we got to do this thing. And they, they don't support it for the roughly two years or so it takes to do. I think we need that. I think we need to, a commitment to, to creating the capability to make the changes that we're all pushing for. Yeah, and I think it it draws in an interesting piece because what I hear is we have to build the capabilities inside of our companies, but we also have to build those capabilities and and expunge on or expand on those capabilities in our project teams, 
right? Like these are useless if they stay at just the lowest level. If they don't come up through that and come into the project teams overall, then those capabilities aren't spreading the way they should. It, it's exactly right. It, it's all about people, and it and it needs to cascade from the bottom and bubble up from the top. Both both there's need there's a need for both. Data gets produced usually at the at the operational level. It gets analyzed at at more senior levels, but then the products of analysis should be going down again, where people are are doing their jobs better. You're starting to see that. But the broader point is when you know, I'll leave with this this idea where back to the McKinsey study. <laughs> There was a guy in in, uh, in the 80s uh, um, who came up with something called the productivity paradox. Um, and and the, the idea was we've been investing at that point for about 25 years in IT as an economy, not, not specific to one industry. And it didn't show up in the productivity numbers. Now, the 80s were 70s and 80s had a lot going on that made productivity tough to measure. But nevertheless, it wasn't there. The 90s had rapid productivity growth. Not because we were investing more in technology, that was that was happening, of course, but you had process re-engineering, you had Six Sigma, you had all of these waves of new ideas that were about the people and how they use the new the data, the software that they were getting. One of the things that I think you're going to need to see in construction is a, re- a respect for the fact that people process in technology, right? Well, we've we I think we're doing a pretty good job on the technology front. I know people's hair gets on fire. But the process and the people are what we what, are what are next to be focused on, and you're starting to see it. But I think that's that's an, an area for the future. Well, I will certainly be talking about that because I agree with you. I think this all starts with the great people that we have in the industry, and then building new and different, completely uh, revolutionary processes that then can take uh, take advantage of that technology. Because I'm with you. I think the technology is actually here. I just think the ecosystem itself isn't completely set up for everybody to to succeed. And there's lots of ways and reasons we can we could get involved in that. Maybe we'll bring you on again later to talk a little bit more about it. But let everybody know where they can connect with you and, and follow more about what you got up to, catch up with those new podcasts, because I know I'll be catching up with them. I appreciate that. LinkedIn is always the best place to find me. Uh, I, every time I do something new, I post it up there. Um, I've actually got a sign up um, for Data in Construction, this book that I'm writing. Um, feel free to go to just datainconstruction.com and you'll find it there. And thanks for having me on. Hey, it was great to have you on and go get that construction technology handbook. It's actually a great one. I read it too. You'd be surprised. Even if you think you're an expert, you're going to learn a little nugget or two in there as uh, good old Rob McKinney would say. So, and everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Disjointed. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. To learn more about Disjointed or read the show notes, just stop by disjointed.fm. This show is brought to you by Join, the decision-making platform for the built environment. Learn more at join.build.